Thank you, and uh, thank you guys, that was uh, really terrific. I'm so looking forward to next Sunday, not only the fact that it's Easter Sunday, but also the fact that we have uh, six or seven people being baptised, and uh, I am always excited by that. I hope uh, you don't mind me telling this story, Ozzy, but I was just talking to Ozzy beforehand, and he was saying that uh, he's invited uh, some folk along, as we always encourage the people who are being baptised to invite family and friends along to their special occasion. And Ozzy was saying that his son was actually telling some of his friends that his dad was going to be crucified next Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. No, we would do that on Fridays, not on Sundays, okay? I just love that. Absolutely wonderful. Great story. Well, this morning's uh, study is the last in our present series, We Are Church. And uh, Dan and I have uh, been focusing on what kind of church we at Tamworth Elim are seeking to be based on the teaching of the New Testament. And so far we have declared that we are, or at least seeking to be, uh, a number of things. Firstly, Jesus-centered, a loving church, a servant-hearted church, a Bible-loving church, inclusive, compassionate, generous, dependent. And this morning I'm going to be speaking about us being outward-looking. Now these are the foundation stones or the spiritual DNA of this church. These are our vision and our values. And we are not perfect, but we aim high. And uh, we seek to love God with all of our hearts, and we seek to love our neighbours as ourselves. And when I speak of neighbours, I'm not only speaking of neighbours locally, but I'm speaking of neighbours globally. So what does the New Testament say about us being outward looking? Well, in the closing chapters of all four Gospels, um, we have the words of Jesus encouraging, challenging, commissioning his disciples to go out into all the world. Uh, that's often referred to as the Great Commission. In Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 28:19, we have the words of Jesus, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have told you. Similarly, in Mark's Gospel, uh, he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. In Luke's Gospel, in the last chapter, we have repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. When it comes to John's Gospel, as the Father has sent me, said Jesus, I am sending you. In addition to what is found in the last uh, chapters of each of the Gospels, we have the last words of Jesus before he ascended into heaven. In Acts 1 verse 8, a verse I'm sure which is well known to many of us, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And as many of you know, in the the book of Acts, which is the history of the early church, we've got um, uh, a key verse there. The outworking of that verse is seen in the next 27 chapters. 
So the next 27 chapters, we have the working out of this promise, the fulfillment of Jesus. And you see the gospel going from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, actually, by the time that you get to chapter 28, the gospel has got as far as Rome. And uh, in the uh, Roman Empire, you have newly founding congregations in many of the largest cities and towns of what we call today Asia Minor and Europe. Now, I don't know about you, but I thank God for the earliest Christians. Empowered by the Spirit, Christians that were outward looking. I thank God that they did not decide to keep all the blessings for themselves. But they were willing to take this life-transforming message of Jesus outwards, even at great cost to themselves. And as we know that many of them suffered greatly. Many of them were martyred for their faith. Many of them paid the ultimate price. That they were crucified simply because they would not bow the knee to Caesar. Because they would not say, Caesar is Lord, as was expected for everybody who lived in the Roman Empire. Christian message was uh, entrusted to 12 men. And today, there are around about 2 billion people worldwide who call on the name of Jesus. Even in the Old Testament, we discover that God's desire for his chosen people, the nation of Israel, was to be outward looking. God spoke to the prophet Isaiah, chapter 49, verse 6. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, speaking of Israel, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. In other words, God had not chosen Israel so that Israel could just sit back and enjoy all the blessings and the comfort of being God's chosen people. But they rather in turn were to be God's light to other nations, to bring God's salvation to them. You see, God wanted them to reach out and to be a light to others. Yet they wanted to bottle the blessings for themselves. And just as Israel was in the Old Testament... The church is meant to be in the New Testament. The church is meant to be now. That we are meant to be a light in darkness. Again, Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, his disciples, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You see, light is naturally outward looking. You don't light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. You let your light shine to dispel the darkness. Last week I came across um, <coughs> uh, some writings of a guy called Tony Morgan who was a church consultant and a blogger and uh, just captured my attention. And he writes this, he says, over several years, I've worked with church leaders from about 200 different, uh, uh, different churches, consulting and uh, coach in coaching relationships. And these churches, he said, are all different shapes and sizes. They were denominational churches, non-denominational churches, traditional churches, contemporary churches, small churches, mega churches. And some were, were, were church plants and others that have existed for a hundred years. And then he says this. After working with all those churches though, this is probably the key distinguishing factor 
when it comes to the health of a church. It's whether the church is outward focused or inward looking. Just catch that for a moment. We are being told something incredibly important here. The key distinguishing factor of a healthy church is not whether that church is Pentecostal or Anglican or Methodist or Baptist or whatever. It's not whether that church sings worship central and hill song stuff or ancient hymns. It's not whether that church has video projection and all the mod cons or has a hymn book. It's not whether it has its own building or meets in a school hall. But the one thing that will distinguish a healthy church from an unhealthy church is whether it is inward or outward focused. Is it self-serving? Or does it focus on people who are outside of its own membership? Put it another way. Put it this way to you. Is it mission focused? Or is it maintenance focused? A former Archbishop of Canterbury, a man by the name of William Temple, once said this. He said that the church is the only institution that exists primarily for the benefit of those who are not its members. Now, some people might challenge his words and suggest that a church needs to be both inward-looking and outward-looking. And will say that if it, it, it's no good being so focused on people who are out there in the community or in the world at large and neglect their own church family in the process. And I think that that's a very important point. You see, to be outward-looking does not mean, I believe, for one millisecond that we should lose sight of the needs of our own spiritual family, our own church family. Sadly, sometimes that happens. That happens sometimes with us and sometimes with other churches. I know this. And it happens because we are human. We can sometimes miss the, the obvious need or perhaps believe that someone else is dealing uh, with help and support to a person in need. You see, Paul writes in Galatians 10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And Paul there clearly, on the first instance, instructs us that we are to be outward focused, outward looking. Do good to all people. No one is beyond our reach. No one is beyond our compassion. But then Paul adds the words, especially. Almost as if there's an emphasis here that we need to underline this. Especially to those who belong to the family of believers. You see, in one sense, if we cannot take care of our own church family in support and encouragement and prayer, let's be honest, we probably don't have a message to proclaim out there to anyone else. And the early Christians were known by their mutual love. Jesus said this in uh, John chapter 13. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you have love, if you love one another. You see, in the deep love that Christ has for us, we are called to mirror that love in the lives of other people. That love that we have for each other can be, I think, the most attractive and the most eye-catching thing of the Christian faith. And if we don't have love for each other demonstrated by practical action, 
then we will not speak to our own society and we will not speak to our generation at all where people are looking for the reality of relationships and the depth of love. People are not looking for words. They're not looking for another philosophy. But they're looking for reality. They're looking for something that truly works. Now, having said that, I am also aware that some churches have become so inward focused that they seem to retreat into themselves, just shutting out the world, uh, being, be, becoming so focused on keeping the show on the road, on maintaining the church buildings, on paying the bills, on doing the stuff that they've always done, where everything starts or ends on a Sunday service, becoming preoccupied perhaps with the perceived needs of their members that they lose sight of the real needs of the outside world and my reaction to that is please Lord please Lord never let that be said of us you know I thank God for Sunday services I really do I'm having a whale of a time this morning it's just absolutely brilliant just being here in God's presence to proclaim his praises and just to be with one another and to just have a great time in his presence for the opportunity and privilege just to be able to be with each other and pray with each other. And I'm often astounded by Christians who seem to have a take-it-or-leave-it attitude to meeting together. I, I, I really can't get my head around that. That makes very little sense to me. But in the years that I've been a Christian, I've seen some churches that seem to have got stuck and stagnant, sometimes because their church members are at war with each other. And I tell you what, that breaks my heart. And if it breaks my heart, I know that it will break the heart of Jesus. There's an old Amish proverb which says, the man who rows the boat seldom has time to rock it. I think that's a, a wise statement, a wise saying. You see, the person who is serving God and using his or her life to reach out to the physical and emotional and spiritual needs of others will normally not have the time, the energy, or the desire, will not have the inclination to major on minors, or to nitpick, or to squabble over issues which are of no real significance. But that man or woman will be motivated in keeping the main thing the main thing. God hasn't called us into a holy huddle where we uh, practice uh, spiritual navel-gazing. That's a great photo, isn't it? But he's called us to be light in a dark world. But what does that look like in practice? What does the outward-looking church look like? Right. For the rest of my talk this morning, let's try to be very, very practical. And I, I, I want to talk about three areas relating to our church. Because this, this whole series is We Are Church. And it's uh, speaking of also our, our own values and vision here. So I want to talk about church on Sundays. I want to talk about church and the local community. And thirdly, church in the wider world. In the context of being outward looking. So first of all, really practical. Church on Sundays. Our desire is to create a Sunday morning service that will be inclusive both to those who have no faith at all or those who have not yet started on the journey of the Christian faith and those who have been Christians nearly all their lives. 
I was once asked, how would I feel if someone asked me to go into the bookies across the road and put a bet on a horse? <coughs> now, some of you, I guess, would not have a problem with that and that's something that you do or something that you've done quite regularly. But for me, I've got zero experience in that. I've never done that in my life. I would feel a total fish out of water. And I've even got sweaty palms just thinking of how I would actually do that. The sense of discomfort. I suppose I could ask people in the betting shop. But I think that that probably would cause further embarrassment in a place where everyone else around me seems to know the rules. And that's how many people feel when they first enter a church for the first time. They have no idea what the rules are. When to stand, when to sit. Whether it's permissible to ask questions to the guy or the girl speaking at the front of the church when they're in full flow. Why some people are raising their hands and it appears as if they've just put a big lump of dairy milk chocolate into their mouths being lost in wonder, love and praise or why people are sleeping on the back row don't feel convicted don't feel convicted oh that's the new back row, sorry sorry I can't see back that far you see what we're saying here is that we see this in Tamothelium if you were here this morning and you're a person who would not speak of yourself as a regular churchgoer. You pro- probably know exactly what I'm talking about here. So, we do our best. We do our best to put ourselves in the shoes of visitors. To attempt to think the things that people don't normally attend church are either asking or thinking. And that's why on our church website... Uh, we've done what we've done. You see, most people these days, they don't just walk into a building or they don't go anywhere without, first of all, sussing it out and finding out what's going on. And we put all of this stuff on our website. And we put questions like, or, uh, what should I expect when I visit church on a Sunday morning? Quite a good question. What happens for the kids at church? Is there a dress code? And obviously it is, you know, it's a suit and tie, you know, this is what we believe. And I'm leading by example in that this morning. Not. Do I have to join in? You know, these are questions. And we've got them on our website. And we're adding to our website all the time in an attempt to help people across that threshold. And one of the things which is often a typical bloke question, excuse me ladies, I'm going to speak to the blokes for a minute. You know, a bloke who's been dragged to church by his wife almost kicking and screaming, the question is, how long have I got to be in that place? And that's why we say it's, it's, it's around about 90 minutes. We don't always get it spot on. Sometimes it's a little bit less, sometimes it's a little bit more, but around about 90 minutes. Please feel free to join in, or not. We will say that the children will leave us for their classes partway through, and we'll explain what happens in the morning. We don't always get it right. But we do our best to actually signpost what's happening and take a little bit of the scariness out of the occasion. When it comes to the preaching and teaching that we do on a Sunday morning, Dan and I very often speak about this phrase that we have, double-barrel preaching. 
And what we mean by that is that we seek to make our words relevant and applicable not only to those who are followers of Jesus but to those who have not yet got started on the journey. And when we prepare our talks, we're quite hard on ourselves to make sure that our talks can generally be understood by people who have no Christian background whatsoever, people who have average intelligence. You see, we're both very aware that there is a kind of preaching and teaching out there which sounds essentially like a secret code to visitors. And we have made a decision never to use long technical words when simple words will do. Should we ever use words like justification and sanctification, for example, which are found in the Bible, we will always take a few moments to explain what those are. Because our desire is not to make all of you think how intelligent we are. Now, that's beyond question. (laughs) Or maybe, should I say, that's highly debatable. That we know big theological words like pneumatology and soteriology and eschatology. Now, you know, that might sound very impressive, but they're very, very simple explanations of what those things are. Pneumatology is very simply just what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. Soteriology, what the Bible says about salvation. Eschatology, what the Bible says about the end times. You see, it was Einstein who once said, you don't really understand something unless you can communicate it in a simple way. I like that. When I started ministry about 30 years ago, I remember some people shaking my hand at the door and saying, that was deep, pastor. What they were saying was actually code for I didn't understand a word of what you were talking about. (laughs) (laughs) That reality hit me many, many years ago. And I'm on a journey. I'm not the, the finished article here. But when we were planting a new church in South Wales and we were meeting, it was in St. Melons in between Cardiff and Newport, and we were planting the church and we met initially in a school hall midweek. And uh, I remember one night just teaching away. And one guy from the congregation actually shouted out, Steve, speak English. Don't understand a word you're talking about. Cheeky man. <laughs> but he was right. He was right. And, you know, that, that sort of did something in, in, in my thinking. You see, I was not long out of college and uh, probably just wanted to regurgitate some of the wonderful notes that we had on all these various theological subjects in college and bring them because I thought everybody was going to be blessed by them in the same way as I had been. And, you know, that was not the case. Still talking about church and Sundays. We're also seeking to be outward-looking at Tamworth Elim by being easy on children in our services. We do not believe the saying that children should be seen and never heard. We don't expect sinless perfection. And we often say that it's great to have young families with us, which it is. And we really mean that sincerely. But children, because they're children, don't always have a voice control on the sound of their voices. It's okay. And in this church, we want parents never to feel embarrassed. Obviously, you know, we'll try and stop the kids fighting if they've got the flags and playing sword fencing or trying to get on the platform and play with the wires because, you know, it's not a good thing to do. But generally, we just want to encourage people 
to know that we are for you and we are for young families and we are for parents. And again, I think you're an incredibly welcoming and accepting church. You really are. Amazing, amazing church. But I think that we can remind ourselves that we, need to, we, that we can always do better. You know, please don't think that offering a kind word of welcome to someone you don't know is only the job of the pastors or only the job of the welcoming team. It will never harm you to say, Hi! Not seen you before. Are you visiting today? Great to see you. Welcome. You know, I'm pretty sure that the other person will never think of you as, as, as some kind of abnormal, strange person if you said that. It's actually quite n- normal, you know. It's quite natural to do that. I remember there was an occasion when I had been pastoring in Cardiff as an assistant pastor of a city centre church, and we'd been there a couple of years. And um, on one occasion, this is in the, in the late 80s, and uh, someone came up to Julie and said, Hi, are you visiting? She said, No, I'm the assistant pastor's wife. We've been here just two years. Bit of an embarrassing moment, yes. There was, a, there was another occasion when um, I visited a, a, a guy that I knew, Mr. Stone, and he was in Cardiff Royal Infirmary. And uh, saw him and uh, chatted for a little while, and then they pulled back the curtain in between his bed and the bed next to his. And there was another guy, I can't remember the other guy's name, who was there. And they were both members of the church, and they'd both been members for about 30, 40 years. And I sort of said, Hey, look at this, both of you from the same church. And they didn't know each other even though they'd been members for 30 or 40 years. And I found out the story was that they came in through different entrances every Sunday and sat in their usual places and never got to meet in that time, which was quite amazing. You see, the point I'm making is that occasionally we might mess up and we can just laugh over it. But I would much prefer that happening than someone not being welcomed or accepted And leaving this church with the impression that we're not welcoming or accepting. So if in doubt, look around you. You know, this isn't all about the pastors, this isn't all about the welcome team. Don't stick to your little group that you'll have talking to all the time. Look around. See who you can greet, see who you don't know very well. Maybe that that person is just looking for a, a little bit of love and acceptance. So I encourage you in that. Blimey, time's going, sorry. What about church and the community then? We do not view being church as limited to a couple of hours on a Sunday. There are 168 hours in a week in which we, are, we can make a difference in the lives of many people in many ways as we can. And as many of you know, our mission statement is to reach Tamworth with the life-transforming love of Christ. So how do we do that? Now, forgive me, many of you have been a part of this church for a long time and you know this stuff, what I'm going to say in the next couple of minutes. But there may be some of you this morning visiting, others of you who are new to the church, others who might be listening to this uh, talk on podcast. Let me just give you just a quick overview. 23 years ago, we started off on a journey to reach out into our community by starting a day nursery inside this building, which was much smaller in those days. And that that time, for anybody who's around, they will tell you that the church had really lost momentum and impetus. And we needed to look for new and creative ways of reaching out to our community. 
And we started with a day nursery, a day nursery that we still have with us today. Two years later, we had the joy of opening a manor house buildings in the place of five derelict shops on a high street right next to the church. We now have the, the manor house centre. And uh, the renovation of these properties was a little bit like physical light replacing the darkness in the community. What was once a derelict eyesore in the middle of the community is now a hub of community life. We stepped out, we put a bookshop, a coffee shop, there was a counselling service right at the start. Lots of things have changed over the years. Buildings have been purchased and renovated, extended. Walls have been erected, walls have been knocked down. New ministries have commenced. We have prime time for the elderly, particularly for those who are socially isolated, where we offer them two-course meal for about 100 people each week. Food Bank, to date, has given away 90 tons of food freely to those who are financially challenged, to those who are unable to put food on the tables for themselves. We have a coffee shop which provides free food and drink to the community, a place that brings love and solace to many vulnerable people, many people on the margins of society. Are we finished yet? <laughs> what do you think? Not a chance. We will continue to look outwards in as many ways as the Lord directs us. We won't just run off and do something because it seems like a good idea. But we will seek God and God, show us, please, what is that next step? What else are we to do? And I might be speaking out of turn, but there may be other things on, online for us. I am presently working with others and praying hard about uh, a winter night shelter. We had the, the pilot scheme a couple of months ago, which was very successful. Uh, a place for rough sleepers to come in the three coldest winter months. And my desire is that next winter time and the winter time after and so on, we will have a place for the three coldest months of the year. You see, the way that we serve the least in society is the way that we serve Christ. Let me give you that again, in case you missed that. The way that we serve the least in society is the way that we serve Christ. I'd love to set up language classes for our church family and wider community. We have well over 20 nationalities in our church as shown by the flags. And if uh, your country's flag is not up there, please tell me about it and we will make sure that that's put up. We are an international diverse church. But some of our family have struggles with the English language. Especially those born in Dudley in the West Midlands. <laughs> and parts of Birmingham as well. All right, me duck. It's coming on. Sorry, I'm teasing you. I'd also like to host a service for those who have learning difficulties sometime in the future. I see, there are many other things. And if any of these things tug at your heartstrings, then come and have a chat. Let's talk about it. Let's see what God is saying. That's what Jan did a number of years ago. She came and see me one night and she said, Steve, I just got this passion for counselling. How can we do it? I said, great. Let's go for this. Let's talk about this. Let's work out where we're to go on that. How many years ago was that? About 20 years? 20 years ago now. You see, we will continue reaching out to the marginalised and the vulnerable, the orphan and the widow. I'm sure you're all aware of that great verse in Micah 6, 8. 
And what does the Lord require of you? The answer, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before our God. And I don't know about you, I've got heroes of faith. Have you got heroes of faith? I have. Who are my heroes of faith? Well, they're people like Mother Teresa, who set up homes to care for the poor in Calcutta. People like Martin Luther King, who championed the cause of racial justice. People like Desmond Tutu, who called the church to be a rainbow people of God and to celebrate racial diversity as a gift from God. And that's the heart of this church. Then there are people like Dame Cicely Saunders, a Christian lady who started the hospice movement to care for the dying. And Elizabeth Fry, who brought about prison reform. And George Muller, who Dan, Dan mentioned last week, who set up a number of orphanages in the Bristol area and many others. These men and women are my heroes of faith who use their lives as benefit for others. And we want to be people of that same heart. To be people who will use our lives for the benefit of others to make a difference in this world in which we live. We only have one opportunity at this. And by the grace of God, we want to get it right. Church and Sundays, church and community, and church and the world. You see, our outward focus doesn't stop at the doors of our church or the periphery of our town. It was John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, who once said, The world is my parish. Great quote. And we have a responsibility and a privilege to do all that we can, in as many ways as we can, to as many people as we can, as often as we can, wherever we can, to alleviate suffering in the world. Yes? Why were there three of us that believe that anyway? You see, I've heard some people who object to international aid being sent to some of the poorest countries in the world say, charity begins at home. I've heard that so many times. And what they are saying to me when they have said that is that they believe that all the taxes which are collected by our government should be used on stuff within the bounds, the parameters of our country. And not to send out foreign aid or to send much less than we are sending out to the developing countries and to stop migrants coming into the UK. And one example of this came to a head a few weeks ago when the government reneged on a promise to provide 3,000 homes for 3,000 lone migrant children. They changed their mind a year later and said that we will allow 350 in. And such was the feeling against this that every single priest, vicar, pastor, church minister from every denomination in the town wrote an open letter to our MP that the Herald published on the front page. And I believe that Christians, we need to speak out about these things. You know, people will say, carry on singing your songs on a Sunday. Don't get mixed up in politics. Don't get mixed up. That's our domain. No, it's not. Because my Bible says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Okay? Everything. And we are to take the kingdom message of Christ wherever we are whatever circles charity might begin at home and I'll concede that amount yeah but it never stays there 
might begin at home, but it never stays there. And many of the children that the government is refusing entry to will be targets for exploitation and sex traffickers. These kids are made in the image of God. They are loved by Him. They need open hearts, not closed doors. Queen Elizabeth, who was a Christian, most definitely, said in one of her recent day messages, when Jesus answers the question, who is my neighbour? The implication drawn by Jesus is clear. Everyone is our neighbour, no matter what race, creed or colour. I've been listening to Nicky Gumbel and his commentary on the Bible, going through the Bible in one year. A number of you are doing that, I know. And this week... um, as he comments on the story of the Good Samaritan, he said this, You are never more like God than when you are helping hurting people, lifting up the fallen and restoring the broken. Try to make this a high priority in your life. You see, being outward looking is not to pass on the other side of the road like the priest did and the Levite did. But the Samaritan, who was a foreigner, He took pity on the man who had been robbed and beaten. He took care of him. He gave his money. And the story ends with the words of Jesus. Go and do likewise. I'm done. Dan finishes very often his talk by saying, the take-home, those are the words he tends to use, the take-home is. And uh, we often talk about that. What is the take-home of our Sunday message? What is the, the so what How does what has been spoken on a Sunday morning change anything? How is that effective in my life? Let me just ask a number of questions. And just as I'm asking, I'm not going to put them up on screen. I just want you just to consider some of these take-home questions. Are you mission-minded? Or are you maintenance-focused? Do you have a passion to share your story with other people? What sort of things upset you? Do you row the boat more than you rock the boat? Are you more concerned that this church meets your perceived needs than the spiritual needs of those who are at the start of their spiritual journey or perhaps not even made a start of their their Christian journey? And finally, are you more like the Levite and the priest who walked on the other side or like the Good Samaritan? Would you stand please? Let's pray together. Guys, would you like to come back? (coughs) Let's just close our eyes for a moment and reflect upon this subject today. Let's just think about uh, what is it, not what I have said, what is it that the Holy Spirit might have used in that talk to touch something specifically in your life? What is it? And let's just come and with open hearts, open lives before the Lord. Our, Our lives are like an open book before him anyway. Dear Lord.
I thank you that you are the one who is totally outward looking. You looked down from heaven and saw the mess that we're in. And Lord Jesus, you came into this world on that first Christmas time. You lived amongst us, you taught us, you sat where we sit. You ultimately died upon a cross and rose triumphant from the grave. And that was for us. I pray, Lord, that we might be sensitive to these things and that we might have your heart. That we might be outward looking in our Sunday services and all that we seek to do for you. In our community work, in our ministries, and in our wider world. And we pray, Lord, that we will so let our light shine before men that they might not glorify us, but that they might glorify our Father in heaven. That is our prayer, Lord. We don't wish to be the object of people's praise, but we desire Jesus, you, Lord, to be honoured in these things, we pray. Amen.